Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Movie Mastery. We're doing In Theaters Now. I'm John, and of course, as always, joining me is Jeff. Yes, yes, it can be said that I am joining him. And this week we have a special guest with us. It's Claire. <sighs> I am indeed here. Yes, you are our, our very special guest for this very special late Valentine's Day themed episode of Movie Mastery. It clearly, a, a woman's expertise was required. It, it, we we bring you on about once a year. Do you think that this was a good use of your time? Um, let's see how the podcast goes, and then we'll we'll answer that question. All right, sure, <laughs> fair enough. This time around, the clear winner of the poll for what we should go see, obviously, was Fifty Shades Darker. Yeah, yeah, it sure was. And not by a little bit. Oh, no. It was the runaway winner. Uh, I basically knew when I put that poll up that that was what was going to happen. Yeah. There is no possible way you, the listener, was ever going to let us see anything else this month. So moment. it was fated. You, so it had to be. You could have not put it on the list. That would have been... I'm sure people would have emailed you and been like, hey. Uh, hey, you forgot one. I can't, <laughs> I can't help but notice. <laughs> there seems to have been a mistake with your polling. So this omission. This creates an interesting conundrum here that we seem to be sent routinely to movies that we have not seen the the first one. Oh yeah, uh, we keep going to sequels of movies that we haven't seen yet. So Right, and I wasn't surprised that you hadn't seen Bridget Jones. I was kind of surprised that like neither of you had seen the earlier Triple X movies. Why would I see that? It looked so bad. Well, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't my thing. Here's I think I've said this on the show before. I've never seen any of the Fast and the Furious movies either. No. Like, like, not even part of one of them. And there's, what, like 15 of those, I think? I, I, I think they're currently, they're, they're filming eight of them back-to-back -back right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've added, like, Sean Penn and, and Glenn Close and... and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's getting really classy. Yeah, they, I think Robin Wright Penn is in the new ones. They've also just got a bunch of really young look-alikes that they have on board, so that by the time they reach maturity, <laughs> they'll be able to just step in. Where the hell did they find a young look-alike Vin Diesel? Did they carve him out of dolphin meat? <laughs> Bring yeah. him to life with a spell? Well, what they did is they went into a uh, a gyro shop and they went and just carved some slabs of meat off. Just got just, a big ravioli. They just got put some tattoos on it. They just got one of those cones of donor meat, gyro meat, and yeah. just, just lathed it like in ghost. <laughs> yeah, it was just sitting there and uh, the rock and the ghost of Paul Walker went and put their hands on some donor meat. Rest in peace. And, and just carefully crafted it into a, a new, young, lithe, lumpy Vin Diesel. <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing. We, we didn't mention this in the... Vin Diesel, we, we were all kinds of mean to him when we did that Triple X Return of Xander Cage. That is true. Uh, I, I don't know that it was his idea for that movie to be that stupid, but it wasn't... It certainly was his idea to look as good as he does for, for where he is. Because I was describing him as like a blowhole golem. Uh, <laughs> it's a leather suitcase full of fat and sand, I think. Yeah. And and uh You know what? If you look like that when you're forty, I mean we're gonna find out in like oh, five minutes. He's but... not forty, he's forty nine. Shit. Yeah, yeah, he is old, but yeah, man. That's the thing. He looks goddamn good for a fifty year old man. Now, granted he looks ridiculous as a fifty year old man doing <laughs> flips on motorcycles and what have you, but Indeed. Yeah, I, that's, uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about Triple X Return of Xander Cage, okay, even I, though... It might be better, though, to talk uh, about Triple X than this. I think I have another 15 minutes on Triple X. <laughs> just squirreled away. Just by myself. <laughs> you guys can go. Go get a taco or something. 
Well, if uh, we run out of Fifty Shades, maybe we'll we can <laughs> circle back. Well, yeah, because I think we could probably sum up Fifty Shades in the uh, in the pre spoilers section by just basically saying one or two things about it. Well, yeah, we're uh, as always when we do the in theaters, we're just going to give you a quick no spoiler review, just uh, a very surface level, and then of course we'll come back with the full spoilers because we do not want to spoil any of this movie for you listeners that are on the fence. Thinking about going to see yeah. that Fifty Shades to, Darker. I want you to be on the edge of your seat the whole time, just every gripping plot twist. Well, let me ask, Claire, had, had you seen Fifty Shades of Grey, the first one? No, it was one of those things where, you know, I, I went to see Twilight with your girlfriend, and we were both drunk, and that was actually a pretty fantastic experience. And I had considered doing that with Fifty Shades at some point, and just never got around to it. Fair enough. I, so, here's... Have you read the books? No. Dear oh. God, no. I okay. think I read a couple paragraphs and, and recoiled in horror. Because we haven't read we haven't read any of the, the books or anything. We went in completely blind. Our standard no research policy applies. Yes. So here's what I think happened in the first movie. <laughs> if I can if I can venture some guesses. Uh this guy who I think is like evil, not a not a crime fighter Batman, because uh, that's Christian Grey. Uh, decides, yes, he lives in a very fantastic, very secure penthouse. Yeah. Goes into a hardware store and finds the dumbest person in there <laughs> and then proceeds to basically abuse her and mentally rape her for, I'm going to guess, about an hour and a half worth of film. Uh, there's probably some tasteful nudity. And at the, the end, she goes, no more of this. This is stupid. And it will be the first time she ever showed any agency throughout the course of that film. Or and, this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... That's what I'm thinking happened in the first one. This one picks up immediately. It's like Phantasm. It just picks up immediately where the last one left off. Well, in this one, uh, you know, not really getting into the plot or anything, but the uh, the whole thing is, it is a weird sense of time. You don't really understand what's going on a lot no, as things- far as, like, there's a bunch of plot points that happen in this, and you're like, wow, this must have been, like, several months. And like, oh, it's been a week. Things just come and go. Like, stuff just sort of happens and it's all self-contained to a single scene i feel things like, are brought up and immediately dropped yeah i feel I, like the, the director was just like just do whatever's in the fucking book i don't care <laughs> i could tell that the whole time span of the movie was less than two weeks because it seemed like every scene really followed directly on the one that came before i was keeping track of it i was going okay this is the first weekend after the movie has started this is probably like wednesday after the movie has started that's that's insane i would i would never ever think that because most of the time it's like oh i'm making strange life-altering decisions well yeah but it it is like within a day yeah no but you know granted every single event that occurs throughout the course of the film takes place over about 15 minutes like everything (laughs) anything that happens it isn't just the two of them being like i'm slightly angry i'm also slightly concerned let's have sex indeed let's that's that's most of the film and then the stuff that happens around the margins of that is like a bad thing is happening. It is over. The end. Uh, let us go back to my house and have sex. So let me let me go ahead and ask this for you. Uh, of course, this is what the listeners want to know. Was this sexy? Who got turned on here? Huh? Anyone? I'm, I'm gonna, I've got a pretty hair trigger boner, and it did not go off. Um, there were a couple of scenes that I found vaguely erotic, and I was thinking, if only these actors had any chemistry with each other. Well, no, there, there was no chemistry. There was all, anything that might have been steamy about the the uh, 
anything that might have been steamy about any of the sex scenes was avoided during the sex scene, like trying not to hit a dead raccoon on the road. <laughs> they were like, oh, something sexy is about to happen. Quick, let's fix it. Let's just have normal bana- uh, uh, vanilla like your parents do sex. <laughs> that's That was... That's pretty much what happened. And I've seen many a sexy vanilla sex scene in American cinema, but uh, the the actors have to seem like they like fucking and like each other, and that is really not the case here. No. Uh, I would say the the sexiness of this is definitely hampered by the fact that when you're you're watching this, it's both actors and characters that don't seem to give a fuck that they're there. Uh, and they, the fact that they're trying to do something that's like, oh, we're, we're kind of kinky. We're kind of BDSM, but they aren't means that it's just sort of like, we're sort of aggressively vanilla at this point. I feel like this would actually make a reasonable sequel to Bridget Jones's diary because it's, (laughs) because it's, it's, or sorry, Bridget Jones's baby, which is the only one I've seen because it's rich mom porn again. Oh yeah. I mean, granted the characters are younger, so it's not about projection you're not supposed to be like well i'm an i'm an older woman in her early 50s and what if i had to choose between a billionaire and a millionaire so it's not projection because the characters are like in their late 20s but it's the same movie she still has to choose between a billionaire and a millionaire she still has sex where where, you know later on she's going to describe it to her friends and be like and then indeed he put his penis in my mouth did he put his puppet in your mouth yeah that sort of thing is the sort of way they'll describe it except actually the film does not contain a blowjob uh so yeah spoiler alert man we gotta save that for the second half so so sorry my bad anyway you want to go ahead and cut to the music (laughs) yeah you know what we will we will actually discuss the the finer points of what's going on this when we come back so uh we will be right back with the full 50 shades darker I ache for the touch of your lips, dear, but much more for the touch of your whips, dear. You can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango. We are back. So it is, it's time to really get into it, get into the, the nitty gritty. It's time to go two silver balls deep into this movie. <laughs> so... What was the clock for you on on? Because I'm gonna tell you what mine was on how long it took for me to hate Anastasia Steele, like uh, that, the main character of the film. Uh, well, given the disgusted noises you kept making next to me, <laughs> I'm gonna say it took until someone said Anastasia Steele. That well, that yeah. was also true. The moment someone said Anastasia Steele, I was like, oh, Christ, how is this famous? How come? There aren't millions of those Harlequin romance novels that are just as equally famous when you've got a name like that to start you out. Yeah. But no, for me it was the, the one of the introductory scenes with her because mostly it's just her moping around for the first... They play a terrible cover of a Coldplay song. Yep. Well, for the, for the obligatory post-breakup montage. Yes, they do a post-breakup montage. Uh, play just... Oh, that Coldplay song was driving me insane. And, uh, and then we cut to her going to a, pho- a photography gallery and it turns out that the photographer is a friend of hers presumably an important character from the first movie who wants to bang her who definitely wants to bang her as everyone does yeah yeah well uh, she's she you can definitely tell she's got that bella from twilight 
I inexplicably am wanted by everyone. Well, that's not even inexplicable in this situation because she's Bella from Twilight All with right. Anastasia Steele written on her. Let's, let's review the provenance of Fifty Shades. So yeah. I can answer this question, which is that I hated Anastasia Steele before I had seen the movie because I was aware of the background, which is that this start, uh, Fifty Shades started out as Twilight fanfic. And then it was really long and it was really popular. And so the author filed off the serial numbers and got it published as an original piece of fiction and then made gobs of money, presumably. I hope. I hope that she made gobs oh, of money. She's, oh, she's yeah. quite wealthy. Yeah, she's doing just fine. She was a producer on this. So, yeah, the, the character, pretty much everything that is loathsome about the character is everything that is loathsome about Bella Swan. Yes, in, in so far as that she is mopey, uh, directionless, has no agency whatsoever. Allegedly sort of mousy, but actually nice looking. I don't know. Yeah, that seems to be the kind of, the general, it, they did a great job of casting a Bella Swan equivalent yeah. in uh, in Dakota Johnson. Uh, but there's a scene where she goes to this fo- photography art opening for her friend, and they look around, there's just shots that just look like the background of tourism guides. Just, oh, a bay with a single perfect sailboat contained therein. And then they come around the corner, and instead of color photography, it's six black and white pictures of Anastasia Steele. And she's all dressed up in, in like huge cable knit sweaters just to make her look even more like Bella. So it's all these pictures of her hiding the bottom half of her face behind sweaters and looking coquettish. Yeah, I'm really not clear on why, you know, like a photo, an artistic photo gallery would be showing those prints given that they sort of just look like glamour shots. Yeah. There was nothing interesting or artistic about them. No. And, and, and uh, there wasn't even any sort of background to it. It really did look like. Oh, I just had someone sit in front of a white wall, and I did these pictures of her. They yeah, were very looks, nice headshots if it, she was yeah. an actress yeah, or something. It looks like they were taken at Sears. Yeah. And and so she goes, oh, my God, I, I feel violated because there's these pictures of me. Uh, and, and, you know, people in the audience of the, of the thing are pointing at her like, is that her? I think that might be her. To the point where you're thinking, okay, one of these has to be a nude. Like, right. Like, it has to be. I was thinking maybe this is some, like, photos that Christian took of her secretly. But no, she's just in a fucking sweater. Yeah, she's in a big old mousy sweater. And uh, and then her friend comes up, and she's like, there's a lot of pictures of me here. And he's like, oh, yeah, those are my favorite pictures. I would have asked you, but you would have said no. And her response is to just kind of go, eh. But, you know, in fairness, her characterization, very consistent throughout the film. Yeah, no. just That's uh, what she does when someone crosses her boundaries. Behold, the incredible person with no agency. (laughs) And let me just say, immediately following that scene is when I hated Christian Grey, because then right after she does her little uh, 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 thing, the assistant to the photographer comes up and is like, all six prints have been sold to the same person. And, of course, it's Christian Grey who's like, I don't like it when other people look at you. And I'm like, oh, you're awful. You should go now. Well, that is that is the sort of thing that a dominant person's going to say. It's not, not, not something a responsible dominant person would say to their ex-girlfriend. Well, no, oh. it's something an abuser would say. Yeah. That exactly. would be the distinction. Yeah. It's very obvious that in that scene that you're like, oh, you broke up and she's had no contact with you, but you found out where she was, what this art show was, bought all of these pictures, and then had to tell her it's because you don't want people looking at her. That is just horribly abusive. Yeah. And then this this scene, the first time where we see the two of them together, establishes a pattern that they might as well have cut 15 of out of the movie because it's just going to happen over and over again. He comes up and he's like, uh, I, I would like to talk to you. And she's like, no. And he's like, you're being silly. Go to dinner with me. Okay. Well, yeah, so so the pattern that is repeated consistently throughout the film is he does something kind of creepy or controlling. Mm-hmm. To her credit, she goes, hey, 
you're being a dick. That was kind of creepy and controlling. And then he, you know, sort of just steamrolls her, and then she's like, okay. Yeah, and this time it's not quite because of the whole man pain thing that will become every other excuse, but it's it's one of one or two things. And this one, she, he just straight up bullies her into it. He's like, no, you're going to dinner with me. And she's like, uh, okay, I, I will. I will go to dinner with but you. But only because I'm hungry. Yeah. Right. Well, she doesn't even let herself finish that statement. There's a point where she tries to come off as flippant and be like, fine, I'll go to dinner with you because I'm hungry, and we'll see what else. And you're like... Christ, girl, have some fucking self-respect. No, she was hungry for that D. Yeah. Apparently, because as well, her other friend was like, hey, you know, dinner's on me. I just sold all these paintings. And then she was like, nah, fuck you. I'm going to go over with this other abusive guy that doesn't care about my boundaries. (laughs) Yeah. So the two of them go to dinner and we get establishing situation of what his character is as he looks at the menu, looks at the waiter and just goes, we'll have two steaks with fries. And uh, bring a bottle of this fancy wine. And again, to her credit, she's trying to exert some agency. She goes, no, I'll have salad. Which, I have the quinoa salad. Which is the most pathetic thing she could have ordered in response. <laughs> to be, he's like, we'll have two man steaks. And she's like, no, I want woman food. Do you have anything that a goat would eat? Now, don't don't knock her, her femininity. There's nothing wrong with her expressing her gender identity through quinoa salad. What I'm also, is, is the quinoa salad gendered to what I, you? What I'm mocking like is the yogurt. filmmaker's total stereotypical nature. Where he's like, <laughs> well, no, because if he rejects her, or she rejects his mighty steak, it is so she may have a mousy salad. <laughs> <laughs> That's And, and uh, he looks annoyed with her changing his order, but puts up with it. And then he's like, I want to renegotiate the terms of our relationship. And I don't know much about the first movie, but what I understand, it's because the first movie has this whole BDSM contract thing that, that lives at the heart of it. I believe so. Yeah, where, where he like has her sign away certain rights that she has in exchange for certain other things. Uh, and so she's like, that's ridiculous. I don't want to renegotiate a contract with you. We just broke up. It won't work because you're a sadistic abuser. And he's like, I won't be. And she's like, okay, let's go to my place. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Every single problem in this is just like hey i've just realized something you're awful and he's like but have you ever considered i'm not huh <laughs> i hadn't let's have sex well there's, that's it and there's times where he gets around it by just doing weird nonsense where she's like i don't even know you this is ridiculous i feel like you may have just killed someone and he just gets on his knees and puts his hands out and she's like oh oh no oh no you're on your knees what's happening i will do whatever you want <laughs> and usually the out is like uh, did I ever mention that my mom was a crack addict and died and then her dead body was in the house with me for three days? Let's have sex. Yeah. Does that make you real wet? (laughs) Yeah, apparently. So the the movie is, I can't see it as, I feel like this this section of the movie should have been 15 minutes long (laughs) and it should have been bookended by the other two movies. Because there's there's no sequence where Christian Grey is not obviously the bad guy who needs to be dealt with at the end of the film. Uh, There's uh, no sequence that you can't not just see him as a supervillain. Well, the problem is they deliberately put in overtly, like, distinctly disturbed individuals that are, like, brazenly terrible to distract from that. So you've got, in this movie, you've got an ex-sub of Christian Grey's who's like, I'm a crazy stalker and I want to kill Anastasia Steele. And then you also get the... I am Anastasia's new boss, and I'm I'm gonna try and sleep with you, and I'm gonna try and touch you, and then if I don't get my way, I'm gonna burn a picture of <laughs> Christian Grey. Yeah, he looked like they tried to. It looked like they found a young clone of Aaron Eckhart. Yeah. Yep. 
to get to, to play him because he wasn't Aaron Eckhart. He just really looked like him. Oh yeah. So, but anyway, so that's the new boss of hers at her new job where she is a publishing editor's assistant at Seattle. It's some SIP. independent publishing. Yeah. Seattle Independent Publishing, which is one of those places that's a book manufacturer that somehow isn't a crumbling building. Yeah, I was going to say the whole idea that, and, and as the, one of the creepy controlling things that Christian does is buy the company that Anastasia works for. Um, and the idea that he would consider a, a brick and mortar book publishing house to be a good investment, I found very unrealistic. Oh, yeah. when, he, when he's like, oh, well, I've been meaning to get into publishing. I'm like, no, no you, you haven't. haven't. Please. You've been meaning to get out of publishing. I guarantee he has three newspapers for sale. <laughs> but yeah, so, so she's working at this new place, this SIP, and she has a sexy new boss who's surprisingly nice to her. Oh, yeah. Well, the first time we see him... He shows up and he's got tea for her and he's like, here you go. This is, this is your tea order normally. And she's like, oh, shouldn't I be getting this for you? And he's like, don't worry about it. I'm a cool boss. By the way, in about 20 minutes, I'm going to become a pervert. <laughs> the funny thing to me is she can't just say, shouldn't I be getting this for you? Her, I mean, again, her acting is fantastic in this because her re- reaction is, uh, shouldn't I? It's, it's like listening to a young, sexy Woody Allen. <laughs> Throughout the yeah, course, she has much better tits than Woody Allen. I will give her that. Yeah, well, he's working on it. Yeah, but but yeah, he, the whole time she's just like, because I don't even. But that's over. That's above 145th Street, and I. <laughs> oh God, the city Poitiers. It's oh. met the Golem, and then they had sex. And I'm nauseous. <laughs> you turn the page, wash your hands. Turn the page, wash your hands. The safe word is kibitz. Like, that's that's the kind of character. She, yeah, she's young, sexy Woody Allen. I'm rewriting this, by the way. <laughs> Everything is going into the new pick. <laughs> All right, so she goes out on a date with him, uh, with Christian. It, I don't even remember what the first date was because it doesn't matter. Oh, it's cooking at her, at her house. Right. Yeah, they go to cook at her house. Yeah, because when you want to go slow with your ex, you cook at your house. Yeah, you that bring- never leads to sex. Yeah. Literally what? everything she says that sounds like agency is dismissed in the fir- within the next 15 seconds of the film. Well, sometimes by her, because she at first is like, oh, I want to take things slow. And then she's like grabbing his ass while they're cooking yeah. and giving him the pouty face and everything. And then eventually he's like, I thought you wanted to go slow. She's and she's like, like no. Nope, she's not- like, no, I want to feel every cubic centimeter of your dick skin. <laughs> That's, I'm sorry, I guess it would be a square wish- centimeter. <laughs> I don't think she feels the inside of these spongy tissue. Yeah, but I wish that that was a line in this yeah. movie because that would have been so much better. It really would have been because what she does say is, I want all of you. But here, here's the thing. Before that, when they're having their first little get-together meeting at a restaurant, and, and she's like, I don't think we could change. I feel like you're too BDSM-y, and I feel like that'll never change. And he's like, no, I am trying to change. Uh, the very next scene is her going... I want to take it slow. Incidentally, please do BDSM things to me. Like, there's no point where she's like, I've changed my mind about that. I would say that the first sex that they had was quite vanilla. Uh, yeah, I can see that. It was basically, well, it was her, it was her leading. She, like, made him get on his knees and made and led him through cunnilingus and what have you. Um, well, the, the other thing that I noticed a lot in this movie, which I assume is just because it's easier film-wise... There's a lot of Christian is still clothed sex. Yeah, and it was just strange because you can show a guy's ass, and they did show his ass a few times. But it was like, oh, I'll take your shirt off. I'm not going to take your pants off anyway, and we're sex and missionary style. And then later it's, you're not even going to get out of any of your clothes. Well, no, because literally every time they have sex after that first time, it's back to him being the boss of sex. 
He's back to being Mr. Control Sex. Which <laughs> hey, means, everyone. I'm the sex boss. I'm sex boss. I make the decisions about sex. That's you're fi- a, you're a fired from sex. show on Showtime, by the way, <laughs> Sex Boss. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Food Network. You're going to eat my ass. I'm the sex boss. But after, as soon as he's back and in, in I have all these toys and controls and so on, he's not going to get undressed because he doesn't need to. He's the one running the sex. Well, and this is character appropriate. He doesn't like to be touched. Yes. Well, he has a specific zone of the no-go. Well, no, that's that's the zone, that's the 100% no-go. The rest of it's just negotiable. He no. doesn't like being touched in general. No, no. He was fine with being touched, like, on the shoulders and the arms and everything, but when he stopped her was when she went to go around his midsection, and he was like, no, you know you can't touch me there. That was weird because I had no idea what that was. That was, like, the mm. most directly connected, like, you need to explain this shit. Because it was like, he was like, you know that's off limits. And I was like, what, hugging him from behind? What's happening? Yeah, what's the what's the off limits aspect of this? It's it is his front section, basically from the top of his chesticles down to his happy trail is a no go. That's a no fly zone. That's a really nice and important part of dudes. I know. And it's a shame because, you know, he he is sculpted unlike unto a Greek statue. Very pretty. Yeah. Like if I'm describing what I like about dudes, a lot of it boils down to that area. Yeah. So that was kind of a, I feel like I would be turned off and that's it. I'd be like, what, I can't touch one of the best parts of you? Well, it's true. I mean, Hard pass. do we ever see her touch his dick? I mean, we wouldn't see it, see it. But you know what I mean? Is no, it even suggested even, that she touches no. his dick no, at any even, point? No, she never even reaches for it. It only goes in her and never goes near her. Right. Yes. That's that's an important thing. There's and no think, handy J's, no blowies, nothing. Well, I think it's important because I feel like that's part of the childish way about uh, that sex is written about in this book. A dick is a thing that exists, and eventually it's inside you for a while, and then you have a baby. That's <laughs> that's how dicks are treated well, in this you, film. You skip the part where, because the dick is inside you, you have 50 million orgasms, obviously. Well, anything that touches her vagina causes instant and irrevocable orgasms. Yeah. Because, uh, it, here, here's some sex information about me, folks. While people are doing things to my dick, I can carry on a perfectly reasonable conversation. <laughs> I don't know if that's a magic trick I'm doing, uh, but I could probably read while fucking, and it's... But she's like, oh my god, someone's breathing near my vagina. I have to bite my lip and go... Just for... She has no self-control whatsoever. No. And I I mean, if I was that sensitive, then... And apparently she was a virgin before Christian got a hold of her. If at that point you're like, oh man, I've never experienced any sort of sexual pleasure. And then I found out that the slightest breeze will apparently make my vagina explode. Then maybe... Maybe you'd get addicted to that. I don't know how she didn't notice previously. I feel like she must have a string of creeped out doctors. But on the <laughs> on the flip side, if the slightest touch could make you come, you could fuck anyone and be really happy. So yeah, but not why everyone is a billionaire. To this abusive piece also, of shit? if you're that ludicrously sensitive, you don't want fucking vagina balls in you. Yeah, because you're gonna be like, this is too sensitive. I'm going to I'm going to wet my dress. I, this is a bad situation. Yeah, yeah, thin satin dress plus Benoit balls. That's a bad combination. Yeah, but, but she's just like, yeah, whatever. Put those things in me. That's fine. I'm going to just make dumb noises for a long time. And it's like, he, he should know as a dominant when he's pushing past someone's limits. This person has the most sensitive vagina in the world. Maybe I shouldn't mess with it all the time during business meetings. No, it's probably okay. <laughs> uh, so basically, the the film follows this progression line where she finds out uncomfortable things about christian gray uh she confronts him with them he gives her two fake options she chooses the fucking one and then they're having a friendly breakfast the next morning yeah yeah everything is just followed up with and then we had breakfast and she was like 
you. I forgive you. Yeah, she's like, uh, why do you have my bank account information? And why did you just deposit a bunch of money in my bank account without my permission? And, Let's fuck. And scene and no. <laughs> next things. day, literally the next day, this is not, there's not like time elapsing. Uh, you have a file on me that you clearly did background research on me, like when we have barely even met. Okay, it, let's fuck. Yeah, and his response is, it's okay if you draw on me with lipstick. And she's like, well, that seems reasonable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the whole thing is she's like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. I need a roadmap. And so as soon as she finds out that not only does he have this file on her where it's like, oh, yeah, I had a complete like psych evaluation of you and I know every place you've ever worked and everything like that. And in addition to that, here's a story about the stalker that has been following you and is super creepy and is obsessed with me. But you know what? Here's the roadmap. Uh, you're not allowed to touch anything in my midsection. There's your roadmap. Well, yeah, and her the whole thing is she's like, I have two deal breaker questions. Both of these questions are deal breakers. First of all, why did you stalk me for a long time? Second of all, why can't I touch your chest? And his answer is, you can sort of touch areas near my chest right now, I guess. And she's like, no further questions. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was, oh, well, why do you have this? Oh, I do that to everyone. Okay, so you're crazy to everyone. Great. That is that not is an a, answer. That's an acceptable answer to me, Anastasia Steele, total the, idiot. The dumbest person in the, in the movie in the world. I, okay. I so. think that was the point in the movie where I really just started to feel sad. Yeah. Because his habit of just diverting attention away from her boundaries and concerns by exposing his man pain and sort of making himself falsely vulnerable. And then she just melted because she just wants to take care of him like he's a little broken puppy. I was like, this actually happens, though. Like, this is how emotionally abusive relationships work. And I don't know if the writer understands that. I don't know if they really get that they're providing us with a very accurate documentary of how abusive relationships are sustained the, the author strikes me as one of those people that buys all that harley quinn shit at hot topic yeah where they're like oh my god the relationship between harley quinn and the joker is the best relationship oh, relationship they're, goals they're both so crazy for each other and it's like yeah but they're also crazy both of these people are crazy and well i mean the fact that it came from twilight is very telling because that's the exact same kind of relationship of i control you and then she'll be like, oh, I, I don't like that. But no, I can't live without you. And I'm going to attempt suicide so that you'll show up. Yeah, it's like, this is this is interesting because the Fifty Shades as a Twilight parody or, or fanfic, if all you did was change their names back, would be a great genre parody of Twilight. <laughs> Instead of a good fanfic of it, it would be a good genre parody because it captures all of the worst elements of Twilight. It captures how the two main characters fall in love despite having literally nothing in common. Yeah. Uh, this movie, these two characters have no shared interests at all, except for fucking. They have, there's never a situation where the two of them are like, I like art. I also like art. This is good music. It's just, I'm mad at you. Let's fuck. Okay, we're fucking. What more do you need? Well, yeah, it's, I've had the same relationship for 12 years. You need, you need an insane <laughs> amount more. <laughs> You've had a functional relationship for 12 years. Yeah. Well, the thing is. Against all odds. <laughs> you, you aren't a billionaire though. Yeah. And so the argument of, oh, well. This person gives me the good D, and we don't have anything in common. However, I can go on this yacht. Yeah, but you can't go on the yacht alone. He, he, he's so control. There's a, there's sequences in the movie where he's like, "I haven't seen you for three hours. I am super pissed at you." Huh. Uh, so her whole or we have to go up to your apartment. We have to go together because you can't go without me. 
So I don't think it's worth it. I feel like the whole billionaire thing is like, well, I'll just hook up with that abusive millionaire that, that for some reason is an editor at a book publica- publishing house, <laughs> and maybe he'll let me go to McDonald's on my own. <laughs> I, I don't think she was ever actually considering hooking up with him. No, no. Man, I, I thought you were going to say, I don't think she's ever considered going to McDonald's. <laughs> well, certainly not on her own. They don't have quinoa salads there, okay? Yeah, well. Oh, they do. They're just served in a shaker. <laughs> <laughs> and ranch. Yeah. Yeah. So... So let's let's move the plot forward a little bit. Do uh, we have to? The yeah, well, the uh, the other stalker girl becomes a little more aggressive and manages to get close to Anastasia Steele's car. Uh, this causes uh, Christian to freak out and hide her on a boat that goes sailing around Seattle's high highlands, like way out in the middle of nowhere. Well, this was so bizarre to me. So Christian supposedly lives in this amazing secured penthouse. And they are going into his parking garage, and they see that Anna's car has been all trashed. And then he's like, well, I can't take you into my apartment. And so then they go to a boat. I'm like, you do understand that boats are less secure. Like, she could be on the boat right now with a hatchet. Yeah, but he has dudes. Yeah, so he, he sends, sends the dudes, dudes on to yeah. check the boat. Then, then why couldn't they check the, the apartment? Well, they could, but the, the apartment can't go out to sea. Exactly. The, the Someone could come into yeah. the apartment. No one's going to be swimming up to the boat. Yeah, that's the difference. She's not Jaws. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> you don't know what this girl's I, capable I of. I seek out women who look like my mom and have super swimming. She had nice shoulders. <laughs> I seek out women who look like my mom. Also, my mom was a shark. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm sorry. We skipped the ballroom scene. We probably... Oh, well, no. I, I only want to talk about it because I want to talk about Kim Basinger. Oh, yeah. So there's a scene where Christian mentions that there's a big ball and he wants her to go to it. And I'm sorry, he doesn't want her to go to it. It is understood that she will. Yes. Uh, so he's like, well, first we have to get your hair fixed at a local salon. So we take her to a local salon and there's Kim Basinger in this local salon. And it turns out, and this must be a thing from the first movie, yes. that she was the woman who taught Cri- Christian how to fuck. Yeah, when he was like 14 or 15 or something. Like he was definitely underage. Oh, yeah. She was sexually abusing him and teaching him about BDSM. Yes, and then he kept her around. And, right. And this is the thing that should have been a huge warning flag again because he's like, she's, she even points it out. She's like, this is a huge warning flag. You're like employing your former abuser and you brought me to her. Do you bring all of your girls to her? Yes. And, and he's like, yes, I do. But that shouldn't really freak you out. And don't worry, we're just friends. It's like, well, you shouldn't be friends with your former abuser. This this is a huge warning flag. And he's like, ah, yes, that is true. But look at this hand puppet I'm doing. And she's like, oh, okay, let's fuck. <laughs> look at this pretty lingerie and pretty dress that I got for you. That is That was hilarious. Because she they, they have a scene where they dress her up in super sexy lingerie so that they can stick Benoit balls in her. And then in the very next scene when she gets undressed, all that shit's gone. Oh, yeah. She is completely nothing underneath the dress except for, like, a little bit of panties. But yeah, beforehand, was... it was this full garter and yeah, like she was, stockings thing she was strapped into 18 pounds of dita von Teese. she could not possibly have worn that under that dress though as soon as i saw her in that dress i went she's not wearing the underwear under it i thought what was going to happen was that they were going to take the dress off and the underwear was going to be there and i was going to go ah, you thought it was gonna these be people don't understand underwear yeah so instead <laughs> they dre- they dressed her up in a straight up super lingerie suit and then just took it off her again so she just felt like man that shit takes so long to strap into truth yeah that's like getting ready to go skydiving <laughs> <laughs> or rock climbing. That's that's the kind of work you have to go into to get those fucking garters hooked up. Buckles and snaps. Yeah, little hooks in the back. You got like 15 of those in the back. Tensile strength has to be just right. You need one of those handmaidens to put her foot on your back and pull the straps real tight. <laughs> it's just so much work that goes into it. And she's like, oh, I just dressed up in this so that I could get dressed up in something else. Yeah. It was just, oh, I saw this and decided this would be a fun thing to do for the next 20 minutes. Yeah. 
And then he sticks the Benoit balls in her, and they take her to the, the fancy masquerade ball, because this is the kind of movie where you need to have one of those masquerade balls that do not happen in the United States. <laughs> it was, I guess it was, maybe it was supposed to be kind of an Eyes Wide Shut shout-out? Well, I, I guess maybe as a shout-out, but, you know, in the film, it's a charity auction. Right. So they're having a charity Yeah, it's auction. one of those things where, like, people are walking in in their sexy dresses and their sexy masks, and in the background, you can see this little poster of a kid, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, man, don't do that. Yeah, it makes You it just ruined my sex boner. No, all it does is make it look like later on these people are going to ritualistically kill that kid. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you see. We see all these people. Also, this is the thing that drives me nuts about these masquerade balls in all these movies, is the main character comes in in a wisp of a mask. Like, oh, it's a mask made out of lingerie and diamonds. And then every person in the background is like, I'm wearing a full-on, straight-up Plague Doctor mask from the late 1400s. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm actually a terrifying background element to this scene. You get to look like you're in Ever After. <laughs> and I, I, this was another one of those scenes where I was thinking, maybe the screenwriter and the director really are in on the joke. Because the whole idea of it being, you know, this quote-unquote charity event where clearly no one gives a shit about the underlying problem that the charity is for, and they're all just swilling alcohol and socializing and, you know, fucking each other under the tables and whatnot. I was thinking, you know, th there's sort of some social commentary there. Maybe, maybe the writer really gets that these people are empty and shitty. Except no, <laughs> but, because but no. The, the end sequence of the film has all of them smiling and clapping, and the one who I think is... Christian's brother, who I only know is an asshole who chews gum with his mouth open through the entire film. Yeah, who's that? You know, we had the low rent Aaron Eckhart before. He was kind of getting a low rent McConaughey vibe from him. Yeah, I got a little bit of like a McConaughey had a baby with Christian Slater. Yeah, and and then that baby you learned, read my fic. Yeah, and then that baby <laughs> couldn't close his goddamn mouth to chew gum for even a second, and no one commented <laughs> it's on a it. Tragic birth defect. <laughs> Oh, he was ridiculous. It was like he was part of the blue-collar comedy crew. It was like, oh, we're all billionaires. Yeah. I'm also a billionaire. It's down Here, to earth. Here's your sign. It was just, what the fuck is... Anyway. Anyway. So they have... They go on a fun boat ride. A big, sexy yacht that he also owns. Because he just owns anything he needs to. Clearly. There's even a scene where she's like, when was the last time you went shopping? And he's like, oh, last week. I bought a uh, an airline. That was supposed to be funny. And it, it wasn't. Uh, no, it no. fell flat. And mm. the problem is, this guy is just the worst idle rich. Because it's, oh, what are you? Oh, I'm the head of Gray Enterprises Holdings Limited Incorporated. And you're like, okay. Which is, but, a, which is a double Irish tax haven. I was like, okay. <laughs> All but, it could be. But what do you do? And he's like, oh, I mostly just own things. Okay, but what do you do? Oh, nothing. nothing. I'm just rich. I'm never in Sit an in office. meetings and text my girlfriend. I'm, I'm, I'm the person who the company has to pay and every single person in the company hates. And I guarantee you the CFO is plotting my death. <laughs> <laughs> because at no point does he do any work. Until the helicopter scene. And even then, the work he's doing is dubious. It looks like he's doing Richard Branson-style fake work. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. So they're on a dump boat. And uh, this is one of the scenes that drove me nuts, where he's like, come on, I'm going to teach you how to drive the boat. And after they have a brief moment where he's like, all right, fine, I will I will give you a tiny piece of personal information about myself if, if it will shut you up so I can fuck you some more. Uh, my mom died. Okay, let's go, let, let's go drive the boat. And, and then she's like, no, no, don't, don't, don't take your hands away. Don't, no, I'm like... You're on a giant yacht in the middle of the fucking ocean. What do you think is going to time? happen? Are you going to flip it over? What are you worried about? <laughs> you know, if you take your hands off and wander off and have lunch, the boat's still going to be going in the same direction when you get back, right? Yeah. And it wasn't even like, oh, man, this is a this is a little motorboat and maybe I'll crash into something. You're like, no, you got sails and you're just sort of going. Like, this yeah. isn't 
This isn't something we're like, I'm out of control. And they, they tried so hard to make it be this dramatic moment of freedom and release for her as they're like, like, don't take your hands away. I'm doing it. I'm taking my hands away. Oh, you've taken away your hands. I'm doing it. I'm driving the boat. I'm a captain. And it's like, the boat's still going in a straight line. The boat does not care about your human input. <laughs> <laughs> it takes 15 people to make this boat go in a straight the, line. The boat You're the will least take, essential one. The boat will take your directions into consideration. Yeah. There will be five guys downstairs who are actually driving the boat, but good job. Oh, that's the only way I get my boat driven. Yeah, when five guys are downstairs. <laughs> With the burgers and fries. <laughs> so, basically, at this sequence, uh, they this is the first time where we start seeing the BDSM stuff, because she gets taken into what he calls his red room. And the red room is his room full of velvet-lined walls and drawers and shit, full of expensive bdsm nonsense oh yeah it's got a, it's got a great rig i mean well, just that's... like fucking machines and floggers it's got everything can i tell you this is a i've always been fascinated by bdsm and in my case specifically i like ropes a lot you know why i like ropes a lot because they're cheap yeah but this this is the thing about bdsm that's always kept me away it's the only sexuality i can think of that costs a fucking like thirty thousand dollars starter investment oh yeah it is the warhammer of sex yeah it is you're like, oh, I think I might be into being a dominant person. All right, well, you're going to have to stop by the dominant person car dealership because <laughs> you can't drive less than a Jaguar and be a dom. And then following that, you're going to need about, oh, I'd say $25,000 worth of metal things and little leather bits and straps and hooks and stuff. You can't have sex without these. Well, if you're not scared of splinters, you can make your own St. Andrew's cross out of some lumber you found in uh, the dumpster. Yeah, you so know, you go <laughs> very DIY. You go find one of those uh, just you know planks of wood that they throw out. And you're like, oh, good. I'm just going to take this, strap it together, put someone on that. That's hardcore. Did you did you just use zip ties to attach me to an old scarecrow? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is turning you on, right? We're way into this. Am I attached to your your uh, your? Sugar pea lattice in the backyard? <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah, I call yeah. this vineyard play. Yeah. Now now I'm going to shoot you with a super soaker. <laughs> anyway, the red room is full of the the least scary BDSM stuff you, your, your grandma could totally look at. Well, that's sort of the problem with trying to make a movie for a general audience about BDSM. Because the stuff that looks the most flashy, like a big flogger. A big flogger is probably, like, kind of soft and thuddy anyway. Yeah. And they'll be like, oh, look at these cuffs. Those are just cuffs. All they do is hold you in place. That's yeah, not, not in that this movie. dramatic. The shit in BDSM, the equipment that will actually do horrible stuff to you, doesn't look like anything. Because well, they're like, that's a long, thin rod of metal. That doesn't look like anything. Yeah, I'm going to put that in your urethra. Yeah, that, like- <laughs> that goes in your dong. Here, we're, we're going to do some sounding. Well, they do it. At least they brust out the nipple clamp for a second. Yeah. It goes on a finger. And they never use it. I felt no. like that was a shotgun on the wall. Use the nipple clamps. Yeah. Never used it. They just use it so they can get her to put her finger in her mouth. So she can look coquettish again. Well, the thing That's is... all it does. Using nipple clamps and actually showing it would be too far for the movie. That's super true. Like, I thought... I was surprised when they even did the oil. But that's that's way later in the film. So they show her they show her the red room, and he's like, "We really shouldn't be in here because I have I, I'm trying not to do these things anymore. I'm trying." He, he's in recovery. Yeah, he's, he's in, in BDSM re- recovery. Yeah, I'm trying not to be this person anymore. And then they go out on a date, and at the end of the date, she's like, "I want you to spank me," and he's like, "But no, because remember, I'm trying not to do that." And she's like, "Yes, but I want you to spank me." Which at this point, the movie fell apart for me, and I just didn't give a shit about anything anymore. <laughs> so I was like, "So this is a movie about addiction, where addiction is a good thing." Like, if this movie was about cocaine, she'd be like, 
let's do cocaine together. And he'd be like, no, because I've quit cocaine. Remember, I don't want to do cocaine. Yeah, do cocaine. You have to do cocaine. Right, because they've set it up that his sadism is like this horrible curse that must be overcome in order for them to be together. But then the whole time she's going, just one more hit, just one more hit. It'd be like if Belle went to Beast's house and was like, hey, hey, be mean to your furniture some more. <laughs> oh, that shit turns me on. There was a preview for that before this, which I found quite appropriate. Yeah. But except, at least in that, she's like, she holds to her principles and she's not very nice to him for a lot of the time. And she actually acts like his prisoner instead of just kind of hemming and hawing her way through the movie. In this case, it would be like if she was like, hey, Beast, hey, Beast, be mean to the townspeople. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the thing with the relationship between Anastasia and Christian in this is that not only is it the, like, oh, I'm trying to not be addicted. Yeah, but you should anyway. It is also... It's got this uh, mentality of the only reason that you are a dom or sadist or anything like that is because you had a fucked up childhood and anyone who is into anything fetish wise, this movie essentially says, if you like fetish stuff, it's because you're fucked up mentally. Yeah, right. something bad happened to you. That's why you like all these toys. And Not there's a certain amount that you can enjoy and still be a normal person, like five spanks. Yeah, yeah five spanks, that's no limit. more. That's what we meant to get into. Oh, or sorry, what I meant to get into when I was talking about that. She's like, you can spank me. I want you to spank me. And he's like, no, I'm trying to recover. And she's like, no, I want you to spank me. And he's like, okay, we'll do it. But do let me know if it gets too painful. Now, that first of all, that's not a safe word. Second of all, he ties her up and there's no cutting implement in sight, which means that there's no safety release. And then he spanks her, and he spanks her by hitting her on one cheek with the fingertips of his hand five times, and then they have regular sex. Well, it's it's not even a spank. He basically is just palm-punching her buttock. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't make the right spanking noise. There's no artistry to it. You can tell Jamie Dornan has never spanked a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also that, that, that dynamic you just talked about, about five spanks and then fucking, just really undermined his whole characterization as a sadist because he just, he just wants his dick in the vagina really fast. Yeah, every time. He they, prefers that over anything else, there apparently. Are only, there are only three BDSM scenes in this movie, and each one of them is a different BDSM toy. There's there's the spanking, where he ties her up with a silk napkin. Again, let's just go ahead and put good BDSM safety rules and practices in place. No safe word, no cutting implement in you case the know. ropes come loose. Maybe there were some scissors under the pillow. They you don't should know. be visible. They bedroom. shouldn't be under a pillow. <laughs> uh, I, know, I know BDSM rules. I know that he, they weren't following them. I, granted, it's because he's not actually a top. He's, a, he's an evil, gross sadist. There's a difference. BDSM in this movie isn't a fun hobby. It's a disease he has. Yes. That he has to, it's the evil stepsister of this movie. He has it to is a mental it. affliction. Yeah. It's a hurdle. Uh, th then they also have spreader bar sex where they spread her legs open. And this drove me insane because they use this really cool-looking spreader bar to spread her legs open, right? And once they've got her legs spread open, you never see the bar again. Yep. Just you have saw it a couple times. You, well, no, they uses it to flip her open, or flip her over. Uh -huh. It also uses it to flip her open, yes. But he uses it to flip her over, which is sort of a cool scene. But here's a scene that needs to be happening if you're having a leg spreader bar scene in your movie. The, the uh, ankles straining against it. Yes. Trying to close your legs. Yes. And, and you don't get that shot. Well, that's because she's never she never, she never wants to close her legs. What, are you kidding me? No. <laughs> and it should be reflexive. As soon as he starts to go down on her, she, she should do that thing where she tries to wrap her legs around his head. And I instead, she, there's no shot of anything like that. No, and there's no why, shot of this anything. This was why all the sex scenes just failed to be sexy to me. Because all of the things about kink that are hot were not in the movie. <laughs> yeah, the whole point of a spreader bar is you're going to want to close your legs in a second, and this thing's going to stop you from doing it. If you're like, oh, no, my legs are great. In fact, because you spread them further, then a spreader bar is not the right tool for you. No. And, I mean, it had, like, little rings. Maybe you could 
put them up somewhere yeah, or do something with it. Because he took her to a different room to yeah. use it. And I was like, oh, that must be because he's got a rig in here and he's going to hook her to the ceiling with it. No, he's just going to flip her over and do her doggy style. And the spreader bar will matter not in the least. <laughs> and then the third sex scene, he puts cuffs on her hands, hooks her to an Andrew's cross, puts oil on her, unhooks her from the cross, and fucks her. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's just nothing. It's like... Hey, I made it so that I could put oil on you without you moving. But now I'm fine. Everything's fine. So I'm sorry for our listeners who are like, I don't really want to hear a whole bunch of sex talk. Well, why are you listening to this fucking podcast? This is what's super disappointing about this movie. There's there's three or four things about this movie that are core disappointments. One, for me, a big one, is for a movie about BDSM, the BDSM is terrible. Yeah, this is like, you know, uh, hustler grade, bachelorette party, novelty BDSM. Yeah, this is tarp in the woods level sex. It's pathetic. Oh, Tarp in the Woods, my favorite comedy parody of Cabin in the Woods that's just porn. <laughs> no, wait, back porn. that up. What the fuck is a tarp in the woods? Okay, tarp That's in... where you find porn no, out in the no, woods. No, you no, find he's... a tarp, and underneath no, it is magazines. Else. No, okay. Now, as a child, you go out into the woods, you find this tarp. That's not tarp. That's woods porn. It's not tarp porn. <laughs> tarp in the Woods is the sort of porn. It's the super softcore Jim Wynoski-style porn that's like, Oh, we're gonna. You're the witches of Breastwick, and we're gonna. We're, we're gonna. Fil- That's a real movie. We're gonna film you like like vaguely licking at each other's uh, tongues and tits on a tarp in the woods because actually filming any kind of, like paying money for anything else would be too expensive. Okay. But also because it's softcore, nothing fun's really going to happen. You have big fake tits and they're getting kind of jiggled a little bit. And that's what's happening in this movie except with regular tits. Well, you know, if you were a man of simpler tastes, you would be satisfied with big jiggling fake If tits. I was a man of simpler tastes, I still wouldn't be the core audience for this film. <laughs> uh, I, would, I was hoping to at least see interesting BDSM stuff. But I didn't get to. I got to see interesting BDSM stuff, <laughs> gear, which was not used. Yeah, it was certainly not used. Like, he, there's a point where he walks into the red room because she's like, "I want to go to the red room and I want you to do me in there." And he's like, "Okay." And we get to do watch him go through what you know an action movie would be the assembling a shotgun scene where it's like <laughs> click, like that stuff. But what he does is open a drawer, look at two uh, blindfolds, pick the more boring of the two of them, <laughs> and close the drawer. Uh, and then he has a ruby vial full of oil that he uses all of. Yeah, yeah we that can't was even a get like oil. hot wax. Like even in uh, what was that Body of Evidence with Madonna and? Uh, yeah, there was uh, there was wax in there. There was yeah. some hot wax. We could have gone with some hot wax. That's yeah. fairly yeah, vanilla. Yeah, for, for as much as he, there is a scene in this where he's like, "Well, you have to know, I'm I'm not even a dominant. I'm a sadist. I just I like inflicting pain, and that's the problem with me." And. There's no pain infliction no in this movie. At no time was he ever tempted to inflict pain on her. There was no sense of like him struggling against it, which was weird because that was supposed to be the whole plot that he was. No, having. there's yeah. there's no point where he's like, man, I just want to hurt you. It's the spanking thing was, oh, uh, I'm I'm gonna ask you a lot if you actually want me to do this, and then when I do it, it's kind of like I'm just gonna hit your butt with my palm a couple times yeah, and then it, be done. At most, it was it was that sort of fun, flirty controlling that actually sucks in real life practice. Like the put these Benoit balls in you or the um, take your panties off at this restaurant. Well, yeah. that, that can be very fun. It's vanilla, though. Yeah. Or the I'm going to finger you in the elevator, the crowded elevator scene. Um, I mean, that scene was moderate. Like that's, that was that was the only scene that was moderately like almost sexy to me. See, to me, it wasn't sexy because uh, this is a thing that drives. I just wanted one of the people in the elevator to go, man, it smells like pussy in here. <laughs> yeah, that's here's. This is this is my fine line with BDSM, which I've always found a fascinating practice, and I just am too poor to do. Um, I don't like it when it involves other people because they're unwittingly. I participants. just want it to be only me. Well, no, I want to cuff uh, yeah. myself what, what, to what my own is, bed. I want, my safe word doesn't matter because I'll know when it's too much. <laughs> no, what, what I mean is, 
oh, here's the thing. If I'm in an elevator and, and there's someone finger banging their wife behind me and I notice, then they've lost at BDSM, yes. But also they've unwittingly dragged me into their sex. Right. And I, I'm not, a, I, I don't think that's okay. I don't think that, it, it, like, for example, what if you, the person sitting across from you in your office had a cock, one of those cock cages strapped to them all day, and it was super getting them turned on that you knew that, that, that you didn't know? Like, they brought you into their sex life. You're, yeah. you're, a, you're an important part of their sex life. Without you, it's not as exciting that they don't have the cock, that they have the cock cage on. And to me, that's always been sort of a weird kind of squeaky line. So that scene was one of the least sexy lines to me. I'm sorry. I'm just imagining Nicolas Cage's brother, Cock Cage. <laughs> cock Cage. <laughs> cage. I got to keep my money. I didn't spend it all on castles and T-Rex skulls. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Cock Cage. Anyway. We've we got to get to the helicopter. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. No, this was definitely the whole crux of the film. Yeah. So he, he leaves Fawn business for a bit, which is... Great. And while he's out there, he decides, I'm going to fly a helicopter, because he can, and there's no given reason why he is flying it. In fact... Assumedly, he's on business. He's doing business helicopter. I I assumed this was a dream sequence, because they're kind of <laughs> like texting. He's like, I'm going to be in meetings all day, and we're doing business here in Portland. And then it, like, smash cuts to him flying a helicopter, and within, like, two seconds, it starts giving this, like, warning sign. I'm like... Is she, is she dreaming this? Is this, is this happening? What's also, going on I, right I now? I love how during the helicopter crash, he's completely uh, committed to his thing where he doesn't talk to anyone under any circumstances or right. answer any questions. Because the other person's like, "What's going on?" And he's like, "Just driving this helicopter. I am not talking to you." Well, let's set the context for the helicopter scene because this is the whole crux. This is after he has proposed to her. You know, after he's having some twitching nightmare about being abused and she wakes him up and comforts him and he's like, will you marry me? And she goes, oh, you're probably just dreaming. And then the next morning he confirms that he wants to marry her. And again, she has that moment like there's this little there's still a little part of her brain that has some sense of self-preservation and self-respect. And she goes, oh, I don't know. I have to think about it. <laughs> and then he's doing the helicopter business meeting. As one does when one is non-superhero. When you have to do helicopter business. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, like, one of the engines goes out or there's some kind of helicopter problem. He's super cool, calm, and collected and is clearly, like, trying to do a controlled crash and landing in a helicopter. Immediately, the first thing I think is he sabotages the helicopter on purpose. Oh, yeah. There's no way he didn't do that. Because he had just proposed and she hadn't said yes yet. And he was thinking... You know what would make her say yes? Some man pain. I've already told her about the crackhead mom dying. I've already told her about, you know, being raped by my mom's friend. I've already told her about the cigarette burns. What do I have left? My own death. Yes, I will make her think I'm dead. And then she'll just appreciate me and be so scared of losing me. The ultimate fear of abandonment that she'll have to say yes. Here's the thing. That doesn't confirm or deny that in the film. And if the next film doesn't have... That that it turned out that he sabotaged his own helicopter to scare her into marrying him, then this film will have failed. Yes. Because the film is so strongly tilted that way that the only thing in your mind is this is a fake helicopter crash engineered to get her to marry him. Well, also, the, I mean, backing that up as well is, so as I had said in the beginning, the timeline on this is very strange, but it's like he crashes. Immediately, they find out that his helicopter has gone down, and, like, the family and Anastasia gather, and they're watching TV, and there's someone who's like, oh, just breaking news, this guy's helicopter went down, and within five minutes, like, oh, breaking news again, he's he's fine, and I went, wow, that was really convenient, 
of that to happen while they were watching the news. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then as they say that he's fine and they're on their way back now to Seattle, then he opens the door and he's like, hey, everyone, I've still got a cut on my head. I'm kind of bleeding. I look like I just walked out of where I crashed from and I'm here now. And I'm like, okay, no, that didn't happen. No. If you had got rescued from a helicopter crash, you would be in a hospital right now. I don't give a fuck if you have billions of dollars. Yeah. Some doctor's like, nah, man. No. Nah. Unless he spent it on a time machine. Because <laughs> what happens is like he's been found and there and then he just walks through the door and it's like, okay, he's been found. He was out in the middle of nowhere in a helicopter. So at the very least, they have to go get him. Whether they do that with another helicopter or uh, Jeeps or something, they still have to go through the drive time of getting to him, the drive time of getting back with him, a doctor checking up on him, and him flying back from Portland to Seattle. No, I got it now. I got it now. He he owns that news station. And he, oh, it's more, the whole, it's more scam? He, yes, exactly. And he was involved with the news producers and had it timed because he knew that the most dramatic entrance would be right at the moment when they had said that they found him and he was alive. And that was when he would make his entrance. So he was like, he's just sitting there out on the, outside the door, <laughs> like, okay, okay, do it now. Makeup artist putting blood on his head. Like, like, uh, I feel like at some point all of his cronies helping him plan that would be like, sir, they're going to figure out that the time doesn't make any kind of sense. He's like, I don't think you understand how stupid my family and girlfriend are. (laughs) I don't think you understand. All I need to do is go, oh, man, it was so painful. I mean, I'm in such man pain. And they'll be like, oh, I forgot everything that's been happening in life. Yeah, that's so. So that happens. But basically, the whole helicopter scene takes place over about four minutes of the film. He says, I have to go to Portland on business. We cut to a gleaming, perfect CGI helicopter flying over CGI woods. Fake smoke comes out of it. He crashes. They watch the news about it. The news switches from he's been lost to he's been found. He walks inside. They fuck. The end. Yeah, for a a plot point that in any other film would have been a major movie-defining moment where you'd spend a lot of time on that, There'd be a lot of soul searching. Things would happen. Right. You'd actually cut to Christian, like in the crash scene, doing something. No, in this, it's just sort of like, oh man, I was in a helicopter crash. Darn. Anyway, and we should bone. Yeah, the, the movie totally undermined the significance of the scene too, because it is later revealed that she had already decided to say yes before this happened. Yeah. So there was no. I mean, it's not like we thought he was really dead. First of all, there was no suspense of him actually being dead. And then it didn't apparently affect her decision at all. What was the point? It's just, it's in the book. That's the point. And the other two major crises that evolve around them instead of being part of their lives uh, that occur during this movie, one of which being the uh, the editor trying to rape her, and the other one being, or the, other one being the uh, submissive, like Christian's former submissive, trying to kill her, are both resolved after a couple minutes of foreshadowing each. The, the event occurs... Christian walks up to the situation and goes, this isn't a situation. And then it isn't. He Jedi mind tricks both of them. She gets away from her rapist and tells Christian right outside. And he's like, you go kill him. Well, and I, I don't think I don't think his manservant actually killed him, but he did get him fired like within twelve hours by calling the CEO of the company. No, we know he doesn't kill him because he's at the, he's in the end of the movie. Yeah, he's next next movie's villain. Clearly, yeah. um, obviously, oh, he's got to be the hero, right? <laughs> he's got to be like, I'm sorry, I raped you. I've learned my lesson. Unlike you two, who are both un- incapable of learning lessons. No, because <laughs> what's going to happen is she's going to be like, Oh, I, I I've had enough. You are actually manipulative, but then. You know, in comes old editor, and he's like, I'm going to kill you, Christian Grey. Doesn't, but wounds him. And she's like, oh, your your wound has made me realize I love you. Like a baby deer. 
so, and then the other one, the submissive manages to get into her apartment, which again, for the way, by the way, she is a secretary at a Seattle book publisher, and she lives in the rich part of an IKEA. Yeah, she is in a an apartment that has a library in it. She's an apartment. She lives in an apartment that it would take ten minutes to walk from one end of it to the other. <laughs> yeah, she lives on a floor of an apartment building. She. I mean, we even find out, I think, later that she has the, the, that couple is... Right, she has a roommate. She has some roommates, but even then, I'm like, nah, man, nah, you, you do not afford this entire giant floor of an apartment yeah, building. I know how well, much your job pays. It's $27,000 a year in Seattle. I just, I just realized what's going on there. One of her roommates is Christian's brother, which means it's all being paid for by the family. Huh. Maybe. So so even even in the beginning where she's like, I don't even want to move in with you because I feel like you're exerting too much control over my life. He's probably all like, all right, I already own the building you live in. <laughs> so, OK. So when the girl gets into her apartment, uh, she talks to her for a while and manages to sort of, I guess, delay her. But that's the full extent of, of Anastasia's abilities, because the next thing that happens is Christian walks in and diffuses the situation. And leads to my favorite thing in the entire film, which is him. He basically just makes he's the submissive sees him and immediately goes into submissive mode. So he's just like, you come here. And she comes over and he's like, give me that gun. Now, kneel, just stand there. Just just kneel. And she's like, I'll do all those things because I am a submissive. And that's how this works. Apparently, yeah. that, that's what that's what dominant submissives are. They're magic tricks that, that they're I'm a hypnotist. That's that's how it all works. <laughs> yeah, I snapped my fingers. And then I was like, you're a chicken. And that's <laughs> and, what, how and, that worked. And, and then he tells uh, you get this impression that he's going to kill her. Because he's like, everyone else, get out. And and Anastasia's just standing there, and he's like, for once, would you please just do what I tell you? And I was like, I can't think of a single situation throughout the entire course of the movie where she has not. Right. Like, she kind of will protest briefly, like when she's like, oh, my boss says I have to go to New York for this work trip. He's like, you're not going. She goes, oh, well, we need to talk about it. And then he sort of, like, argues faintly, and she goes, okay, I won't go to New York. Well, yeah, the whole thing was... Like, the answer is no, you can't go to New York with your boss. She's like, well, we should discuss it. And then they just bone. She's like, you know, we never did discuss that thing about New York. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're not going. She's like, okay. Yeah, there's (laughs) never been a situation where she hasn't done what he wanted. So there's this scene where he's, it's a dramatic yelling sequence where he's like, just do what I said for once. And she's like, okay. And then she goes running away and runs away and walks around thinking for a while during a pop song. And then just goes back into his apartment again. And she's it's infuriating because she gets back to his apartment. He's like, where the fuck were you? You were gone for three hours. And she's like, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm maybe not, I'm not as normal or, or as obedient as you thought I was. Yeah, the I think whole we, point of that scene was she's like, I'm not going to be able to give you everything you need. And I'm like, really? Your three hour long walk was I'm not good enough for you. That's oh, what that was. You. That's what it was. It was her thinking, I don't think I'm good enough for this man. And when she gets back, she apologizes for not being good enough. And she's like, but I think we really need to break up. And that's when he just gets on his knees and stops talking. And she's like, oh, no, I've done something horrible because he's kneeling. I need to apologize and drop any pretense of arguing with him. Oh, no, my my abuser has changed his entire outlook on things. I need to I need to make sure he's okay. It's like it's like she's reacting the way that like veterinarians react to a chimp. Like she senses a change in body language and she's like, "Oh, oh gosh, he's overstimulated. I need I need to react as I I, I, I will show myself as submissive and offer him offer him a peach." Uh that's the, it just doesn't even it, it she treats him like an animal. Yeah. Uh okay. So at the end they get married. There's fireworks, a whole bunch of conspicuous consumption. And now they aren't married yet. Oh, sorry. They get engaged. There's a, there's a ridiculous display of conspicuous consumption. Well, obviously, because she, this is 
like days after a the ridiculous masquerade ball they're like oh yeah we're also having a party for your birthday and it involves fireworks and a 300 band people and, and being confronted by kim basinger at the very end yeah where she's like you're not good enough for him i'm gonna make him see that and this should be the triumphant moment for An- for anastasia because she's like oh kim basinger is my enemy because she's this old older woman who believes that she's the right person for christian and not me and and I'm fiercely defensive of, of Christian in my relationship. So she gets a brief moment where she's like, well, why don't you just fuck off? And then Kim Basinger holds her ground. And don't worry, because here comes here comes uh, fucking Christian now, just to solve the problem. She did get to throw a drink in Kim Basinger's face, which yeah. I appreciated. But she's holding a glass, and I really wanted her to break the glass and go for the jugular. But I thought that would have been a, no. a greater redemption moment for her character. The The... the alcohol throwing sequence is it looks like it's involuntary yeah it looks like she just had a spasm she's like it's like oh no i've thrown drinks at you i need to stand here meekly until christian rescues me (laughs) oh no i've done something there could have at least been some hair pulling knock her down slap her something not unless someone attacked anna because anna is completely neutral she will do nothing of her own accord well physically she is completely neutral as well there's nothing that she will do like the only time she is at all physically dominant is when editor guy is uh getting all rapey on. Her. Oh yeah, and then he manage- she manages to like knee, knee him in the, the nuts, knee him in the balls and run. Yeah. And that's it. That's that's, that's it. her triumphant moment. And she- I just kept wishing she would do that to Christian at so many times right? in the movie. Well, I just figured that the the uh, editor guy is showing the exact same level of aggression and being a dick that Christian does. Yeah. So I'm amazed his move didn't work. He wasn't rich enough. Yeah. That's all it is. He wasn't rich enough. <laughs> He didn't. He didn't put pictures of her up against her will. He didn't show enough man pain. That yeah. was the problem. He didn't. He, this was the other problem with the compression of the movie. She gets hired, and within a week, he's trying to rape her. I'm like, okay, you know, sexually harassing bosses generally have a slightly better sense of self preservation than that. There's some grooming that goes on, and he had put out some feelers. Clearly, she was groomable. I think that this really could have worked for him had he just been a little more patient. Also. That he knows who Christian Gray is, and you're like, oh, I, I've heard that you like controlling guys. Well, what about me? And I'm like, dude, you know that the person that she is dating like owns you and everything in the world, apparently, and is crazy and controlling, which means even if she was like, yeah, okay, sure, I've picked you, you crazy pervert, there's, there's then a scene- at that point, Christian Gray would be like, yeah, that's fine. Anyway, I'm going to buy everything and ruin your life and destroy you. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we have we have definitely dug into this for a a a long time. Let's let's get the the best and worst on this. Uh, Claire, why don't you start us out? What was the best thing in the movie for you? Give me the high point. I don't even know where to start. Is it the finger bang um, in the elevator? I guess this was the the only even slightly remotely redeeming feature of both movies, which is that there's some female gaze going on, right? And it's like, yeah. it's it's not just that she's looking at him and is a hottie. She she likes the D. She wants the D. She she will ask for sex. Um, you know, she's comfortable saying, I want you to spank me. So I guess outside of the context of that being a metaphor for cocaine, that would be a good thing that she can communicate her desires. So I guess the, the idea that she does have a sexuality and is comfortable expressing it is like, I don't know, some kind of really watered down, pathetic third wave feminism. I don't know. Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely get on board with that. It, especially, I mean, you're right. She, she has, she's comfortable with Dick in the sense that she, like I've already mentioned this, that as long as you never have to see it and it just goes inside you. <laughs> 
She really thinks Dick is super ugly. Apparently, she just likes the way it feels. Yeah. So, uh, well. so I can I can definitely get on board with that though. Her sexual like there are three separate cunnilingus scenes in this film. Yeah. And one of them is is not her just standing there and getting it. It's like she's like actually controlling it. And that's the only one, but it's still sort of like, this is definitely a movie for a bit more for a, a female audience that actually gets that it is. Mm-hmm. So that's what, I guess that's something. Is that going to be yours? No, I don't want to have the same answer. Um, <laughs> you go ahead. I'll, I'll be writing in a second. <laughs> uh, God, I think probably the best thing in this was that one small instance where she like, twists the boss's hand and knees him in the nuts and runs out. Because I was like, man, this is the first and apparently only time in this film (laughs) where you have any physical agency. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every time someone wants to do anything physically to you, you kind of hem and haw and go along with it. Whether they're dragging you along someplace, there's a point where uh, Christian's like, you're going to walk or I'm going to carry you. And instead of going, fuck you, I will scream if you do that. She's like, fine, I guess I'll walk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's more than one scene where she's like, no, and he's like, he's like, well, there's two options. You can go to dinner with me, or you can just fuck me instead. And she's like, oh, we'll go to dinner. Yeah, no, it's, there's at least one scene where I go, okay, fine. Apparently, like, actually overt stated I'm going to rape you rape is slightly too much for her, and she has agency with that. Yeah. Good, great. At yeah. least there's that. I'm going to go with the scene where they make dinner at her apartment. Because we haven't, <laughs> we haven't mentioned yet that uh, there's a sequence where, where Christian is making... I don't even know what he's doing, but he has a big knife and a green bell pepper. And he is just going to town on it in the dumbest of ways. Like, <laughs> like hacking at it like yeah. he's in a jungle just trying to get through some like at least we know he's, or something. Like we know he's not a serial killer at this point because his ability to use a <laughs> knife is non-existent. Yeah, but he's there's a, there's even a point where I swear he hits it with the flat of the blade <laughs> where he just goes flat and just like sort of squashes the thing a little bit. And she even asks him, do you need help? Uh, it looks like every cut that you've cut here is maximized to get white pith and seeds all over everything. <laughs> And, and I swear it looks like you're trying to carve a snowflake into the side of it. And he's like, he's like, no, I can do this. And like, no, you clearly can't. You you've never seen a bell pepper before. Well, she, she's very generous and kind. She saves him from his own ineptitude by fucking him at that point. Yeah, but there, it's just ridiculous. He's using a giant ass steak knife to just sort of awkwardly beat at a green bell pepper. And I, and I <laughs> it loved was it. Very it, was, funny. it was a good scene because it was like, oh, this guy is so wealthy that he literally doesn't know how to live like a normal person. When presented with a piece with a vegetable, he's like, uh, I, I guess I hit it till it does what I want. That's how it works with women. Uh there you go. So let's let's get the low point worst thing in the movie. Let's uh let's get that. It's definitely just the the accuracy of the depiction of an emotionally abusive relationship and the tactics that abusers use and the you know I was I was having a debate about this with a friend recently. There is this this meme, this idea about abuse that some people who are abused over and over again is it fair to say that there's something about them that chooses that? Or is it just that they're not resistant enough to it? I don't know. Definitely feel like Anna was like choosing this to some extent because she just kept going back for it. But oh, his, no, every his, his manipulation. Thing is yeah. Well, I'm not even talking about that. This this movie could be completely vanilla. It is still about abuse. That is true. And like the BDSM is one of the things where I'm like, you guys could be doing this in a healthy manner. This is not necessarily abusive. What's abusive is that he does shit like 
I'm going to give you $24,000. She says, I don't want that. And Henny calls his secretary and says, put it in Anna's account. And she goes, why do you have my bank account information? And then he fucks her and it's done. So just the, the accuracy of the techniques that abusers use to control their victims and just the sad struggle where she's like kind of having these moments of lucidity where she realizes this is fucked up, but then she just can't walk away. Very upsetting. Like yeah. trigger warning. Yeah. Well, and also the fact that it's all glorified. Like their mar- their their uh, engagement at the end is is a huge celebration. It's not like a dark thing that's happening. Like even you think with the title of the movie, Fifty Shades Darker, it's like, oh, she's getting pulled further into this spider web. But no, it's no. Supp- it's supposed to be a good thing. All the dumb shit he does is glorified. Yeah, the dark, I guess, was just a crazy ex or something. Well, yeah, you have three different villains in this of the stalker ex-girlfriend, the rapey boss, and the abusive ex, uh, yeah, like, Kim, Kim Basinger. Basinger. Yeah. Yeah, and none of those are really even relevant to the plot. No, yeah. not really. They're just there to make it so that Anastasia has a reason to go back to Christian. Uh, don't forget about the cruel villain of helicopter failure. <laughs> the, the cruel villain of helicopter failure. Yeah. All right, so what's your least favorite thing in this? Uh, man, I don't know. What do you got? Uh, okay, my least favorite thing in this, and I, I mentioned it briefly, is that... Uh, here, I, I said this when we were walking our way out. Sexy addictions are still addictions. There's yeah. still things that should be dealt with. Because the whole time where he's like, I'm a sadist and I'm trying to control it, and her response is, tie me to something and fuck me, you sadist. <laughs> it's it's not good. It's not good to drag him back to his addiction that he wants to cure. Just because it's fun sex and it's pretty doesn't mean it's good. You think he needed to go cold turkey? I don't think I don't care what. He, he needed to address his addiction in some way other than glorifying in it. This movie, if it had been about any other kind of addiction, would have been the saddest movie in the world. Yeah. This is like, fuck, if this wasn't about fucking, it would be leaving Las Vegas. If this wasn't about fucking, it would be Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it, but, but because it's about fucking, it's a good thing. When she's like, no, I want you to do the things that you're trying not to do anymore. And he's like, okay. And they're like, yay, they're having slightly BDSM sex. Just the way he wanted not to. Uh. Yeah, I, I did empathize with him when he's like, look, you've been telling me that you don't want me to do this shit to you but you keep asking for increasingly kinky things i'm getting some mixed signals here he doesn't articulate that at any point but there are a couple of times when she asks him to do something kinky that he definitely has this confused expression on his face yeah well like that's basically my whole thesis statement for this movie is that addiction is addiction it doesn't matter if it's pretty if he's trying to stop being uh, if he's trying to stop having this mental block and this issue in his life then she is definitely not a good choice for him because he she is enabling everything yes so that's my least favorite thing man okay well both you guys have taken i think all of the overall themes that are the worst <laughs> thing in this movie i'm I, it was I, the lack of his dick wasn't it was that your worst thing john honestly kind of <laughs> like can i be honest right now yeah. there was no frontal nudity for, for for the men for the women you never saw a vagina well, no, there see, was no vulva there was no bush. you saw her boobs but yeah yeah but like oh, you like didn't... she had a bush first of all <laughs> okay but you don't even get like like the cum gutters on this guy like you don't get <laughs> any oh, you don't get the v yeah no it's, it's true yeah. you, it's... you don't get to see the bowling alley even if you did it would be off limits yeah and the the problem is that it the like i mentioned before there's a lot of fully clothed christian sex in this Mm -hmm. where it's like oh i'm just fully in my suit or i'm in a full like pair of jeans or i'm whatever 
I'm like, which there's... can be hot, but it's like a thing for him. Like it's it's like he's like he it, he's a that. never nude, and it's really <laughs> weird well, it's, to me. It's, it's interesting because this movie has four or five sex scenes in it, and they are all the same. Yes, the the slight the toy they bring out at the beginning of the sex scene is slightly different in each one. It's like oh a blindfold, oh a, a thing you'll tie my hands up with. Anyway, let's get rid of that and have regular sex. Let's get back to that For missionary. Like Ninety seconds. Well, you know, at least it's realistic. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so I think the fact that for Christian in this, there's no there's no dong shot. There's nothing. I'm like. Man. Man, ladies love that dong. Yeah, we got, like, Ewan McGregor dong, and he's a way bigger star. Right, you got... Well, also, he's got a very dong to be proud of. We don't know about oh, yeah. Jamie Dornan. That's true. Not he... quite on the Fassbender scale. Well, he could at least Marky Market and use a I fake was going to say, yeah. we've, we've had some ridiculous plastic dongles. You can get that. You can do a Boogie Nights, or you can get, like, a... Whatever that Six Degrees movie was, where you got some dongle flapping around in there. I've mm-hmm. seen... Some wang in movies before. Yeah. In my day. Shit, let me my tell day. You. you guys have seen Scarlet Letter, right? You get to see Liam Neeson's dong in that one. Yeah. I have seen many a dong in my day. Yeah. In in standard Hollywood films. Yeah. And especially in a movie like this, there should be some weenus. Yeah. Do you think that there's sort of this this idea that if a movie is artistic enough, you buy yourself some dong, but if a movie does not reach a certain level of artistry, there can't be any dong. Yeah. Well, I think dong has to be separated out from the sex mm-hmm. like you could have had a scene maybe where it was like he was walking somewhere in the apartment naked and you could see his wangus oh, we even have that scene he gets he it's when he's putting the money in her account he's naked yeah but they don't show there's anything no yeah there's just there's just but maybe a bit in the director's cut well i was gonna say the director's cut probably has because I, I think we could refine your your uh your least favorite from being dong to just being there's a lot of scenes that should have been in these sex scenes that aren't, and that's not us just being horny. I've already mentioned one. The ankle slamming against the sides of the spreader oh, yeah. bar is 150% a shot that needed to be in this movie. Yes. If you show a spreader bar, you show the effects of that spreader and bar. And had you had a director who knew anything about BDSM, you would know that. And the other but thing clearly... is, there was, there was also several shots where you get the topless shots for no reason. Oh, yeah, like when she's putting when she puts on his shirt and goes out on the balcony. But then doesn't, like, close it or button it or anything, even though you are on the balcony of a tall building in Seattle and it's breezy. I'm like, you're freezing. Yeah. Fucking no. Yeah, that's not that, what's that's, happening. That's, that's unfortunate. You she's don't want to be... It. Yeah, ma- that's point. just her thing. <laughs> but but there's no reason for her to be topless in that scene. That's just, look how great these tits are, the they, scene. They are really nice. Yeah. yeah they're fine. And, and there wasn't any of that for the guys... So that's going to be my least favorite thing. Not enough dick. Mm-hmm. All right, not enough. That's dick. my least favorite thing in life. Well, we have to give this thing a score. <laughs> do we want to give it a score out of fifteen, or do we want to just let her uh, uh, Claire contribute well, an optional score? Okay, Claire, you can go ahead and give us your one to ten. Uh, if it's you want, so we'll... difficult because just like the production values weren't bad enough for this to be a so bad it's good kind of movie. That's the thing with these modern films is that there's always at least a little okayness. Yeah, I want I want like Birdemic level bad really, yeah. and I just wasn't quite getting it. Two and a half, I don't know. Out of ten, yeah. Two and a half out of ten for Claire. There we go. Well, let's see how we stack up. All right, we're gonna do our one to five, and that'll give us the the system mastery boys rating out of ten. Jeff. I'm, I can't believe I'm giving a movie with this many tit shots in it and some very nice lingerie, a one, but I am. Yeah. Because at no point did it arouse my mighty bone. <laughs> not, not even a little. Yep. That is uh, saying something. Uh, yeah. I'm a hair trigger on the D and, and it just nothing. I, I, I was way more interested in my Slurpee than I was in this film. 
It's um, all moist and sweet. <laughs> oh, man, I just want to get that cherry out of there. Uh, but but uh, but no, it was just it, the the fact. Uh, there's it's. I'm a big stickler for BDSM rules. Of the little tiny bits I dabble into that the, that part of my life, the, the rules are really important because it's the first thing you learn. It's like before they even let you touch ropes or whatever, they're like, all right, you have to learn the following 15 things and they have to be drilled into you and these are 100% the rules because otherwise you're going to fucking end up in the hospital. <laughs> Is- well, that's the safe saying consensual framework. There's also, you know, the, the rack, risk-aware consensual kink, which can be a little more fast and loose. Fair enough. You know way more about it than I do. Uh, but, I mean, the fact that this movie, just, I just found it offensive. Like, I was like, for a movie that's, well, let's put BDSM out in the American populace, they, they did everything wrong. Like, even, you know, the, up to this point, probably the best BDSM movie in cinema in the United States is Secretary, right? Which has some flaws. It has some flaws. He, he uh, specifically James Spader's character does some things that are deeply against the rules. Uh, and they still, you know, there's no repercussions. But at least it... it tried and it didn't it glorified the the fact that these people are into this it didn't make it a hurdle that they had to jump over this movie treats their sexuality as a disease they have to fix before they can get regular style married yep it's a one yeah uh i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a one as well i almost gave it a one and a half (laughs) because that 0.5 is for fanning the flames of my nascent communism watching this movie i was like we need to destroy the idle rich yeah this one we need bridget to jones. seize the means of production yeah the, bridget jones and this one and and to a certain extent xander cage uh because xander because triple x was like yeah i live in venezuela but i have literally anything i want at any time yeah uh, i'm just like cause I, it's because i pay for things by fucking 10 women the the fact that there are all of these movies that are just like look at this rich person they're rich do they do anything Oh no, they're just rich. Well, yeah. It the thing is, movies about people that aren't rich—that's all they're about. You get shit like *Beasts of the Southern Wilds* and stuff, which is you either have poverty porn or everyone in the movie is so rich that that uh, the means of uh, getting equipment doesn't matter. Yeah, and those are the only options there are in cinema anymore. There's never a movie where someone's like, "Oh, I think we probably need to put off buying that for the month." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they, they either are like, we will never afford a washing machine, or I'm so rich, I don't know what a washing machine is. Those are your options. Yeah, there's no balancing a checkbook scene, because either there is no bank account, and therefore no checkbook, or, or there's, there's so much in the bank account that you have people to do that for you. Yeah. And this this is just another movie in that genre, where you're just like, I hate fucking rich people. Yeah, I, so that, that point five is me going, man, I want people to watch this and hate the rich as much as this has made me hate them. They well, didn't take it far enough, though. But no. you, but that's why you're not giving it, right? Because you already no. said it's a one. Yeah, it's a one. Yeah, so it's a two for us. Yeah, it's going to be a two for us because if they had gone just far enough to be like, yeah, man, this movie really does just put out there for everyone to see how awful everyone who is rich is, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I'm I'm on board with that. There you go. So anyway. Let's move on. Let's be done. Yeah, let's be done. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Movie Mastery Podcast. We will, of course, be back in a couple weeks. We are going to be watching the movies that you suggest. You can suggest those on the big list. And we will have the next poll up on the website. You can vote on what we will see in theaters for March. I can tell you what didn't get my poll up. It <laughs> <laughs> was Fifty Shades Darker. <laughs> And, uh, of course, if you want to support us, we've got our Patreon. You can find us, patreon.com slash systemmastery. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Gmail, all of that. We are System Mastery everywhere. And until such a time as we come back with yet more ranting and raving about bad movies, 
We have been Movie Mastery, and have a good one.